I said, what would he like me to preach about? He very graciously said I could continue with Galatians, which he's been teaching on. Um, but I thought I would give that a miss because Ant's already got something in mind about where he's going, and I didn't think it would be right to, to jump in there. But I did want to continue with the general thought pattern or theme that he's been dealing with because he's been talking about Old Testament, New Testament, about the way things have changed um, because of Jesus. And so I, I thought I would look at one of the topics that is part of what Jesus came to change. Um, and I thought I'd speak today about sacrifice. Um, we read about sacrifice in the Bible, and I'm going to be going to the Bible quite a lot, so if you'd like to have your Bible available, if you'd like to follow the Scriptures, I'm going to be going to. We read about sacrifice very early on in the Bible. It arrives in our experience as Christians very soon after sin arrives. And we don't get a very clear indication of how God introduced the concept of, of sacrifice to mankind. What we do get is very early on, as I said in the book of Genesis chapter 4, we have an example of two people sacrificing. And because of what happens, it's clear to us that already there was a precedent or there was an expectation of what sacrifice was to be. Um, so if you'd like to join me and read in the book of Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to read from the second part of uh, verse 2. It says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And there's an indication straight away here that there was a right way to do things and there was a wrong way to do things. And the right way, it appears, was to do what God had asked for and to do what God expected. Sacrifice, if you look at a definition of it, is about giving something of value, of giving up something of value to attain something of greater value or for the sake of something of greater value. And God had established, it's clear from his response to Cain and Abel, what it was that he wanted them to sacrifice. And we'll see a bit later when we look in, in Leviticus what sacrifice looked like. But there was something in Cain that had him not give what God wanted. Cain was prepared to bring what he wanted to give. He was prepared to bring what he had an abundance of what he had a preference for, and we, what he had a choice for, and he brought that to God. And God's response was not to reject him, but to reject his sacrifice. And God's response to him was, why are you angry that I've rejected the sacrifice? All you need to do is do what's right. Just do what I've said. Just offer the sacrifice that has been called for. We go on to read regularly in the Old Testament thereafter of sacrifice. It's specified 
particularly when worship and interaction for God was set out in the wilderness, when Moses meets with God at the time that he received the Ten Commandments and the books of Leviticus and Numbers came into being, and God provides a lot of instruction and guidance as to what he wants. And one of the things he talks about is sacrifice. And let's have a look um, at Leviticus chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, and said, And do this with the bull, just as he did with the bull for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the community, and they will be forgiven. Then he shall take the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burnt the first bull. This is the sin offering for the community. It talks about the death of an animal. It talks about the specific way in which this animal dies. And God commanded the nation of Israel to perform numerous sacrifices according to certain procedures prescribed by God. And these are things that we need to bear in mind as we go ahead looking at at sacrifice. First of all, the animal had to be spotless. You had to bring an animal that was pure and clean and an animal of worth. It was not expected when Israel brought a sacrifice to offer on behalf of their sins, that they brought something that was damaged or something that was marred or something that was of no value to them. It was not acceptable for the Israelites. It was not acceptable for the priests when they sacrificed on behalf of the Israelites to look for the sheep that they didn't want or the bull that they didn't want or something that was damaged with God. It had to be something that was pure and something that was of great value to them. If you look further into sacrifices that were offered, it was permissible for people who couldn't afford the more expensive meats to use a pair of doves, for example. But you had to give something that was of value to you. And it had to be something that was pure. Secondly, if, we, if you take the time to go and look at, at, at the procedures for sacrifices, the person bringing the sacrifice, in the case of Leviticus and talking about the, the priest bringing it, the person bringing the sacrifice had to identify with the sacrifice. It had to be something that represented you. When you look at how the priests came to sacrifice, they would come and they would bring a pure animal, but they were also required to prepare themselves, to clean themselves, to put on clean robes and to wash themselves. And there was this indication that you were aligning yourself with what you were bringing with sacrifice. It was not something that was impersonal. It was never intended to be something impersonal. Just any old animal stuck on the barbecue and that was the sacrifice. It was something of value, it was something selected, it was something pure, and the person bringing the sacrifice associated themselves with that sacrifice. It represented them. In the case of the Old Testament, they would symbolically cleanse themselves to be signifying the purity and getting themselves ready to be in God's presence. But also, in the sin sacrifice, something died. God had said to Adam and Eve right in the beginning that the consequence of sin was death. And so, through the centuries, thousands and thousands of animals died and shed their blood in animal sacrifice in the Old Testament procedure that God had given the people. But the truth of the matter is that the blood of animals cannot take away sin. Um, If we read in Leviticus 16 and verse 3, I just want to read a little bit there. find my place. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put it in the sacred, he is to put on the sacred linen tunic with the linen undergarments next to his body. 
He's to tie the linen sash around him and put the fine linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. And from the Israelite community, it now talks about the atonement. He is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. The atonement that's spoken about here is not a taking away of sin. When Aaron and the priests in the Old Testament sacrificed, when they brought an animal and that animal was sacrificed and they went to the procedures, we are told that they achieved atonement. The word atonement is used. And therefore they received forgiveness before that, because of that atonement. And it almost seems, because we'll look at a scripture in Hebrews where it says that the blood of animals is not able to take away sin. It seems like a contradiction because you brought the blood of animals for an atonement for your sin. But Hebrews says you can't take away the sin until you look at what the word atonement means. And the word atonement comes from the root word in Hebrew of kafar. I don't know if my pronunciation is correct, K-A-P-H-A-R. And it means to cover up. It doesn't mean to take away, it means to cover up. The same word is used when Adam is told to build the ark and he is told to cover the wood with pitch. He's told to seal it and make it impervious. Uh, impervious with, with pitch. That word that is used for covering is the same root word that is used for atonement, the word kafar. And what we see is a picture of through the centuries of animal sacrifice, through the centuries of sacrifice being brought by the priests, what is happening is the sin of the world is being covered. And therefore, mankind is forgiven from the consequences of sin. Sacrifice of animals could not remove sin. It could only atone for sin. And so, they go through this process year upon year, never dealing with the sin, never clearing away the sin, never removing the sin, but atoning for that sin and covering it up. And you had the option, as a person who was aware of the covenant and who was a part of Israel, to take part in and associate yourself with those sacrifices in that way, gain forgiveness from your sins because they were atoned for. And this became the common practice of Israel. This was something which Israelites did often. They would sometimes do it very ceremonially. They would sometimes do it during great feasts. And as the centuries went by and as the years went by, this act of sacrifice became a cultural norm in Israel. It became a tradition. It became something that was done as a matter of course. And what becomes evident when we look at some scriptures that we're going to look at in a moment or two is that in the minds of many in Israel, that was all that was needed. That's what all that you did. You went through your life and you fulfilled these stipulations at the set times. And sometimes you did it with great pomp and ceremony. And if you're a wealthy person, you made great sacrifices and you made frequent sacrifices. If you're a poor person, you made lesser sacrifices. But that was where your confidence lay. That was where your forgiveness for sin lay, was in the act of offering sacrifice. And in the process, people completely lose the meaning of what God has given. Because in all of this, I'm hoping that you're thinking, why does God want this? Why does God want this? Why this ongoing killing of animals, these liters and gallons and, and megaliters of blood, endless barbecue, what is this all about? 
What is in God's heart? How is he, one could almost say, so easily appeased? All you do is you set fire to an animal and you satisfy God. And sin is sealed away and you get forgiveness for sin. But it isn't like that. I want to read some scriptures that show that that was not the intention even in the Old Testament under the practice of the law, which is what we've been looking at over the last while. If you have a look in First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, Samuel asks a question, and in asking it, he's actually answering and saying no. He says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. There's a first little warning shot to say to us that God's desire was not for endless sacrifice to make up for sin. God's desire was for obedience. God's desire was for a commitment to who he was. God's desire was for a relationship in which people responded and didn't constantly need to go to that place. But if we read on, it becomes even more profound. This is God speaking to the psalmist in Psalm 50 and verse 8. And this is God speaking, and God says, I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills." I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh or drink the blood of goats? And then he says this, Sacrifice, thank offerings to the Lord, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble. I will honor you and you will honor me. God says the sacrifices are not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the physical stuff of the sacrifices. I just want to press a pause here and say, related to that, when we bring an offering to God, a financial offering on a Sunday morning at any time, and we we put something in a basket to give an offering to God, we are not giving money to a God who hasn't got money. We are giving something because of what it does to us. God doesn't need my wealth. Just like God didn't need anybody's bull or ox. God needs me to release what he has given to me in obedience to him and to release what he wants to do in the act of giving. It's not because God's hard up. And God says to to the people here through the psalm, do you think I'm asking you to sacrifice because I'm hungry? Do you think I eat the flesh and drink the blood that you offer? He says, that's not what it is. I've got more than I need in terms of those things. The sacrifice is about changing you. It's about focusing you on what needs to be done. Sacrifice was intended to make people realize the seriousness of what they've done and the great need that they had for forgiveness and to make it not something casual, but something very, very serious inside themselves. A sacrifice was to be supposed to be an outward representation of something that was taking place inside you. Something which said, I have a need for forgiveness because I have done wrong. I have not been obedient. I have not obeyed God. 
as a sign of how seriously I take that, as a sign of how serious I am about coming to God and asking for forgiveness, I will offer a pure and valuable sacrifice and I will align myself with it and something will die. Something of value, of great value will die. Not because God needs the dead animal, but because I'm showing myself, I'm making it important to myself. I use this example often about sorry because it, it's, it's... When my daughter was very small and she did something wrong, my wife called her and taught her and said to her, I may have shared this with you before because I shared a lot. She said to her, when you've done something wrong, you need to admit it and you need to ask for forgiveness because she'd not been prepared to admit what she had done wrong. And so the lesson was taught here that you said sorry. And when you said sorry, people forgave you because you were indicating that you repented. She didn't quite get it because one morning Sandra was working in the, in the kitchen and she heard a little voice drifting out from the bedroom. Sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy. She went and peeped through the crack in the door and there was my daughter with a bottle of talcum powder walking around the room pouring it on everything. And as she went, she was going, sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy. And there was no repentance. And there was no sorrow. And there was no giving of a real apology. She thought that the act of saying those words somehow removed her guilt and brought forgiveness. And Israel fell into that trap. They didn't go, sorry, sorry, mommy, or sorry, God, sorry, God, and sing a little song as they went about their sin, but they just left a trail of sacrifices behind them that they gave without any value being placed in it, without any association being made between themselves and that thing. It was a process they went through. They bought, they believed, their forgiveness. And they tried to buy their forgiveness by bringing animals and blood to a God who says to them, that's not what I need. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own every animal. I wouldn't tell you if I was hungry. I'm not coming to you. I haven't told you to sacrifice for that reason. I've told you because you need to take seriously what you do and to bring your repentance with an act of sacrifice. It was meant to be a reminder. It was meant to be an underlining. It was meant to be an emphasis. It was meant to be something that made people say, my sin has a cost. My sin has an impact. My sin causes damage. My sin takes things away. I shouldn't carry on doing it. Not, I will keep on sinning and offer more sacrifices. The sacrifice was meant to say, I shouldn't do this. I should choose to do something else. And so he says, rather, bring sacrifices of thank offerings. Sacrifice thanks offerings. Just bring a change of attitude in your heart as a sacrifice. And this is not New Testament. This is back in Psalms. It underlines, there's another scripture which we can, we can read about in, in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 11, and it puts even more strongly. It says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. 
They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. That's God. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the time of the law, saying to the people, you don't get it. Even though you are flooding me with sacrifices, even though you are flooding me with festivals and things, you haven't got it because God is looking into the heart and he's seeing that there's no change coming. There's just a tradition. There's just a process. And I want to say this to you. A process and a tradition is easier. A ritual is easier. That's why people love them so much. That's why they are so much a part of so many religions. It's, that's why the Pharisees loved the law. Because you could tick a little box. And you could say, I've done that. And I've done that. And I've done that. And it's easier to do that, to have the checklist and tick off what you've done. And to say, if I've done that, I'm fine. It's easier to do that than to change the inside. And to surrender yourself and to sacrifice all that you are to God. It's much easier to get into the text box format. We resort to it very, very easily. How many times, sadly, does an act of affection or an act of, of love become a tradition which eventually has no more meaning? How many times, when you see some, someone in the morning and you say, good morning, how are you? Are you really concerned about how they are? And how much are you really wanting them to have a good morning? It just becomes something we say. How do you do? When you meet someone, you say, how do you do? How often do you care at all how they do? How often do you ever find out how they do? So pleased to meet you. I hope it's true some of the time. But we just say things. We fall in traditions. They're good things. They're nice things. Someone sneezes, God bless you. Are you really blessing them? Are you really speaking the blessings of God on them? Or is it just a tradition? Because so often something which can have a real value and a real power when it starts out just becomes something which is tossed out and tossed out and we don't really mean it. I, I didn't understand when I first moved to this country. I'd walk past people and they'd say, you all right? And I would go and look in the mirror and think, have they seen something? Um, what have they noticed? Because everybody kept asking me, you all right? No, when I, where I come from, if you ask someone if they're all right, it's because they're not looking all right. You, you, you're expressing concern for their well-being. And I'm sure that originally when people started saying, are you all right, there was some meaning. Like, well, what do you mean when you say you're all right to somebody? Do you really mean it? Are you really concerned? Are you going to stop and find out? Because most people ask me, you're all right, just kept on walking. They didn't give me a chance to actually tell them whether I was all right or not. Because we take something which can have value, the words might have value, the process, and it becomes meaningless by repetition and it becomes desensitized and becomes nothing. And for Israel, the real purpose of sacrifice, which was supposed to be there, just becomes lost. It becomes a meaningless process which is thrown. I'm not saying nobody ever meant it. I'm not saying it didn't fulfill its purpose in people's lives, but in the general process of the, of, of the, the growth of, of the people of Israel, 
It just became something that was part of the cultural tradition, part of the law. And so, because man can't get it right, Jesus comes. And he comes not to cover up our sins temporarily, he comes to take them away. Let's have a look at John chapter 1 and verse 29. You know, sometimes we don't always get the significance of the way words are used in the Bible. If you bear in mind the atonement that came through sacrifice, the covering up of sin, look at how John greets Jesus when he starts his ministry in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not who covers up. Not who temporarily covers. But here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus did that, He brought us free from that sacrifice that, that, that was needed to go on and on and on. He did it once. He did it significantly. And if you think about the principles of sacrifice, what did God do? He took something of great value, something pure, something extremely precious to Him. And He sent Him to earth to die for us. And He associated Himself with Jesus. It was personal. God never sent Jesus off and stood at a distance and said, go and finish the job. He associates with him. He says to people, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus says, I only do the things my father tells me. God's with him in the process. God, it's a personal sacrifice that God takes. It's not something impersonal for God. It's not something of little value. He doesn't just find some heavenly being and send them down to earth to go and finish the job. Take a little goat out of the herd like somebody could do. He took the most precious and he associated and said, and something, someone died. And there was that incredible fulfilling of the need once and for all. Come to a point where you and I don't need to burn another animal. You still can. A couple of nice chops and some water this afternoon maybe. But you don't have to. You don't have to sacrifice to earn salvation. It's been fulfilled. In, in that powerful way, God has accomplished what man couldn't accomplish in one single act. And he's done it with all of the right attitudes and procedures that he expected of mankind in bringing a sacrifice. And so we might say the word sacrifice, therefore, is not going to appear again in terms of us needing to sacrifice in the New Testament. That would be logical. Jesus died. No more sacrifice needed. So we're not going to be asked to sacrifice anymore. But the word does appear again. If you have one of these and you've got one of the Bibles where you can press the word sacrifice and have it search in the New Testament, you'll find there is a a recommendation. There is a requirement. There is an exhortation to worship taking place in the New Testament as well. Let's have a look. Have I got the right place? In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same endless sacrifice, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilt for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. 
It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. This is Christ talking to his Father. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered for one time sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then we go on to read. In 1 Peter 2, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 13 and 15 it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. There is still a sacrifice that is of value to God. There is still the principle. You know what? God hasn't changed. We've changed. Our circumstances have changed. Jesus has changed our relationship with God. God hasn't changed. And God is still blessed when a sacrifice is brought from our hearts. He's not looking for a burnt animal. He's not looking for blood. But what were the things that we brought in sacrifice? Something valuable, something pure, something of great cost to us. What was needed that we associate ourselves with the sacrifice? What was needed? Something died. The Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. Guys, there are many times in my day when I feel no desire to praise. There are many times in my day when I don't think about praising. There are many times in my day when my activities take away the time to praise. There are many times in my day, I have to confess, because I know that you're the same as me, that God gets far from my mind. And I get really, really busy with my life. And we sometimes, in fact, more often than we like to confess, live a life in which God gets what is left over when we've planned everything else in. You know, I'm a school teacher. When I talk, my, my senior pupils will be going off in a couple of weeks on their study leave for their GCSEs. And when we talk to them about studying and about preparing for GCSEs and going into time of exams, I always talk to them about setting up a timetable, a program. And what I suggest to them, and you might find this useful for your children going into exams, is take the days that you're going to be preparing yourself and leading in and draw columns on the paper, piece of paper, and put in the hours going down, 24 hours of the day. And then the first thing that you do is you block out those things that are non-negotiable. You're going to sleep for a certain amount of time. I say to them, mark out when you go to bed and when you get up. Then mark out the things that you don't have any say over. So this is when I eat, this is when I go here, this is when I do that, and this is when I do that. 
What's left over, you get to divide up between your leisure and your study. So by a process of elimination, you come to the time that is available that you can spend and that you have control over for study. You know, sadly, sadly, without us acknowledging it or realizing it, many of us organize our lives with regard to God in that way. Into the day, we put our jobs, our families, our aspirations, our hobbies, our preferences, our pastimes, our laziness. And we block out all of those things And at the end of that, what's left over, God's got an option on. There is a real value and there is a real need for us to bring a sacrifice of praise to God. Not out of obligation because it will save us from our sins. Just like that animal couldn't take away the sins, I'm not going to change God's love for me by changing the way that I behave from day to day. I'm free from that. Praise God, we're looking at that in Galatians 3. But if I love him, do I not want to bring him something of value? There was a day when King David wanted a sacrifice, and he wanted to build an altar. And he was looking for a place to build an altar. And he came upon a man who had a threshing floor, which was a suitable place to build an altar. You can read about it. And he says to the guy, I want to buy your threshing floor to build an altar. And this is King David the great king, the, the, the Jews still call him. And so this man says to him, no king, you can have my threshing floor. And David says, no. I will not offer to God anything that costs me nothing. And I want to ask you, how much of your time, your attention, your love, your passion do you offer to God? At what cost? Is the, the idea of free will sacrifice, giving of ourselves to God, something that is prevalent in our lives. Because so easily, guys, so easily, mankind is is hardwired to be greedy. That's what sin brought in. And that's why God put the rituals and the festivals and the things in the Old Testament, because He knew that their desire for their own will would take them away and they would need to be reminded, they would need to be brought back, they would need to do those things. We are the same kind of people. We are sanctified and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, but in our flesh, the desire is still to fulfill our own needs. And one of the things that we are the greediest with is our time and our attention. How much of your time are you, of your best time, How much of your best attention, and I'm speaking to myself, I'm not coming from a position of strength. I'm standing here in a glass house, not just behind a glass-looking lecture. How much of that precious time is being brought in real offering to God? When we come together on a Sunday morning and we have a time to praise and to worship, how precious is that to you? When you have that time to draw aside in the course of your day to spend time talking to God, how precious is that to you? What does God get from me and from you? Does He get the easy ones? You know, if we look, if we look at the reality of how much time we have conversations with God, think about it. How much talking to God did you do in the last 24 hours? How much time did you and I offer to Him? How much of our good time, 
How much of our good attention, how much of our first choice have we offered to Him? And please, I don't want to reverse the process we've been talking about for weeks, about being free from the law. (laughs) I don't want to put a burden on you. I don't want to put guilt on you. I don't want to put a sense of obligation. Now I've got to go and by law, I've got to draw up that column and I've got to start marking off, this is my Jesus time. That would just be falling back into the same old trap. But I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to excite you. I want to stir you up. Because there's such a reward in that time that we spend with God. There's such a joy. It's what we were created to do. It's what Adam and Eve did for fun. That's what they did for fun, was they spent time with God. And when you're having fun, put God in the middle of it. When you're enjoying your family, put God in the middle of it. When you're working at your job, put God in the middle of it. Just acknowledge Him. Just make Him part of it. Bring Him in. Give that to Him. Give your success to Him. Give your struggles to Him. Make Him part of it. The sacrifices needing to die to my preferences, needing to die to the way that I want to do it, needing to die to my priorities and saying, this is how I'm going to handle the situation. And rather saying, God, come into the situation with me. Enjoy it with me. Fight through it with me. Battle through it with me. Suffer through it with me. Laugh through it with me. Rejoice. Succeed. But be part of it. Making him part of all of that and making that the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving which we bring. That's the only sacrifice that we can give him that gives him joy. He doesn't want any more stuff from us. If we start giving him ritual, we start giving him obligation, we start giving him law, he's going to refer us back and say, I don't need those things. I want your heart. I want the meaning behind it. The sacrifice of praise. A heart that wakes up in the morning and acknowledges his presence. A heart that, that talks to him. Now, guys, if you think about it, I, I, I speak in very simple terms because I deal a lot with young people, but think about a relationship with the person that you love the most. I love my wife dearly. We've been married for 34 years now. Can you imagine a relationship where I got up in the morning and I gave her five minutes of my attention and then ignored her for the rest of the day? In the evening, just before I went to bed, I gave her five minutes more of my attention. And sometimes I did that in the form of a poem. Like gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And I did that for six days a week, and then on the seventh day, on the Sunday morning, I gave her two hours. What kind of a relationship would that be? She wouldn't be satisfied. And yet that's how often, well, that's often how we are in our relationship with God. He gets those few little times, make him part of everything. Bring that sacrifice. That time when you want to center things on yourself. That time when you want to center things in on your needs, on your purposes and your plans. Just center your attention on Him. Give that to Him. And have the fun with Him. And the joy. And the freedom. You know, I think sometimes the reason we don't want to bring Him into things is because the depiction we have of Him is a stern God who just wants to catch us out. And if we bring Him into the situation, He's going to criticize us and say it's not good enough. He's not like that. He's not like that. He wants to come into the joy and bring more joy. We mustn't see Him as a policeman who intrudes on our lives, for whom we make time and we, we tidy up the room before He comes in. Make that sacrifice of dying to those perceptions and saying, Lord, come into my life and have the joy of of everyday life with him.
And every opportunity you have, grasp it. Bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Ed to come as we share in the sacrifice that Christ gave for us as we have communion. If you are here and you are somebody who's given your life to Jesus and you're part of his family, you're most welcome to come and join us. And and, and we do it very informally here. Come up and help yourself to to bread and wine. Join family or friends as you pray and share together and, and take communion. I want to encourage you to do that as the musicians will play a bit and then we'll just come together and close the service. But let's pray first. Father, thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you that we no longer need the sacrifices of bulls and goats. Thank you, Lord, that we need nothing except Jesus. Thank you for the fullness and the completeness of what has been done in our salvation. Thank you for grace that covers our weakness, that covers our sin. Thank you for grace that covers our failure. Thank you for grace that covers our greed. Thank you, Lord, that as we come to you, our sacrifice is not one of obligation or force. It's not by law. But Lord, we want to come in love and in appreciation and give you of what is precious to us as thanksgiving and of praise. We love you, Lord. We, we can't live without you. Just as we're praying, you may be sitting here and, and, and you don't have that relationship with God that we're talking about. But maybe as you've been listening and taking part in the praise and worship this morning or as we've been looking at God's Word, something is stirred inside you and you'd like to be in a relationship that isn't reliant on tradition or law or or ritual, but is a relationship bought with the precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If that's the case, then all you have to do is ask Him. All you have to do is go to Him and ask Him to change your life and to make that sacrifice yours. Associate yourself with that sacrifice. Make it your own and ask Jesus to be the sacrifice and the Lord of your life. And if you would like to do that this morning, come and chat to one of us. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you and strengthen you. But right now, Father, we come to your table, and we thank you for the sacrifice of your body and your blood. We ask you to have fellowship with us and communion with us as we come to bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.